the mirror hanging there? Face of silver, frame of black. Oculus of glass, I stare. I can feel you staring back. I hear your voice. Believe your lies. A window, portal, darkened door. Should you claim my staring eyes? My soul you hold forevermore. Monster Island Resort listeners, and thank you for returning once again to the Monster Island Resort, your online radio show that goes bump in the night. My name is Miguel Rodriguez, and I am your host discussing all things horror in history, art, literature, film, and beyond. Right now it is 3.15 a.m., and I've just finished day one of the Turner Classic Movies Film Festival here in Hollywood, California. Before leaving for this fantastic experience, however, I had the chance to sit down for a few minutes with some of the people responsible for the new horror film Oculus, which opens in theaters tomorrow, or actually later today, April 11th. My guests at the resort today are Jason Blum of Blumhouse Productions. His company has put out films like the Paranormal Activity and Insidious series. And I also have Trevor Macy, producer of Oculus, And last but not least, Mike Flanagan, who wrote and directed the film. And a lot of you horror fans will know the name because he recently directed the super independent Kickstarter-funded film Absentia, which I also really enjoyed. I caught a press screening of Oculus, and I have to say I enjoyed it. My favorite aspect was the idea of a haunted mirror and the evil history of that particular object. And I personally would like to see some more of that history in another medium like comic books. It has a mythology I'm very fascinated with, but I do have a weakness for sinister qualities given to innocuous objects. If you want to read more about my feelings of Oculus, I will actually have a film review online over at owlandbear.com where I have started doing regular film reviews. Owl and Bear, for those of you who do not know, is a fantastic San Diego-based music blog that looks at the music scene in our fine city, and they have decided to let me expand the horizons a little bit by injecting some film into the mix. I also want to assure you that this interview and my review will not have spoilers of the film Oculus itself, so you are free to listen to it before seeing the film, and hopefully this conversation will make a nice companion piece to your viewing experience. So keep listening, horror lovers, to get the scoop on Oculus from some of the people behind that film, right after this word from action horror author J.M. Perkins. 
Prepare to hold the hand of fear's accomplice and be guided through a world of terror. Along the way, you will encounter all manner of frights, from unmentionable supernatural beings to pure human evil, and all the absurdity that falls into the dark spaces between. Will you crumble after the first tale, or can you stomach it to the death? Fear's Accomplice, Volume 1, an anthology of 19 horror short stories edited by T.M. McLean. Available on Amazon, Smashwords, and CreateSpace now. Buy your copy today. I'm talking to Trevor Macy, producer of Oculus, and uh, Jason Blum, executive producer of Oculus. Yes, that is correct. And Michael Flanagan, director, writer, and editor of Oculus. Hello, hello, hello. And we're going to talk a little bit about the film, hopefully get into some meat and potatoes of it. I saw it last night. I saw the Q&A last night. First of all, I think most of the questions probably are going to be for the creative team, but I do have some for you, Jason. You're not off the hook. You're not off the hook, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Yes. So first of all, let's go to one of the things that came up in the Q&A. Uh, you mentioned the Q&A last night that many of the producers that you talked to when shopping this around wanted this to be a found footage film. But I'm kind of glad you stuck to it and didn't go that route. So I want to ask, this is kind of for all of you actually, what are your feelings about choosing to avoid the found footage trope and how did that benefit the impact of what you had with Oculus? Uh, well, I think found footage, I think, is a is a style of filmmaking that can absolutely work for the right story, but it's not something you can shove the wrong story into. And for us, what didn't work about it was that the frame in found footage has to be completely objective. What you you have to decide that you believe everything you see in that frame. There's no room for ambiguity or deceit or subjectivity. And that was those are kind of our three <laughs> most essential <laughs> ingredients in this movie. So it was just it was never gonna work that way. Because of, you know, I think the huge success of Blair Witch and Paranormal, you know, it's like there's always this kind of gravity with with studios who are just like, oh yeah, yeah, we want that too. Um, but you know, you can't just take any any movie and, and make it work. It's a very specific art form. We have made a few found footage movies, and I always think if you can tell a story one way or the other, don't do a found footage. Mm-hmm. Making a, a making a found footage movie is easier. Making a good found footage movie is much harder. So I, I would I would uh, for all those uh, young filmmakers out there, stick to traditionally told movies. Your last feature film was Absentia. Yeah which was funded by a crowdsourcing Kickstarter. So just uh, out of curiosity, compare and contrast that style, what you were able to do with filmmaking that way via, uh, with Oculus, which is a little more traditional producers, and I've got the producers sitting on either side of me now, so this is interesting. Uh, well, I mean, the, yeah, it couldn't be any more different from a technical point of view, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because we just didn't have resources. So what we raised on Kickstarter was the bare minimum to, to get to the finish line and nothing more. So we didn't have we didn't even have lights, you know. Yeah. So you certainly have a much more a much sturdier infrastructure built, you know, under a movie doing it this way as opposed to for no money. But that said, I mean, the experiences are pretty much the same from a creative point of view. It's like your priorities are exactly the same, and when it comes to storytelling, you have the same tools, mm-hmm. you know. So in that sense, they're very similar experiences because the focus was on performance and tension. And no matter how much money you have, that's never easy. So having the low budget doesn't help you out, and, and having $100 million doesn't make that easier either. So it's just really, you know, 
I guess for that, the only big difference is do you get another take? And you, you <laughs> tend to get a couple more when the budget goes up. That's right. about it. Yeah. Both absentia, and this actually goes to the roots of horror in general. It's the very, like we were talking about before we started the interview, a very stigmatized genre and kind of misunderstood as being a simple, cheap genre. But it's kind of difficult to do, and it, it encases a lot of different ways to explore fear. And so both absentia and Oculus rely on, as you just said, a steady and almost not slow, but a steady building of tension that gradually increases. You wrote it, you directed it, you edited it. So uh, you have a unique opportunity to control it from beginning to end. At what stage do you start thinking of specific techniques to build the dread for different scenes? And does it start in the script or do you rely more on the editing suite for tricks like that? Um, well, the, uh, it starts in the script for me, and, and a lot of that is because editing is actually the, the one thing I think that colors every single phase of a movie for me. Um, and when I'm writing, it's the most successful if I'm thinking about the edit then. Because I, I, there's this kind of joke, you know, where we'll fix it in post that flies around the business, and you really can't. You know, like having, having edited reality TV for so long, which is where you try to create story, conflict, and other things where there is nothing to work with, you know, that idea that you can just kind of create tension and, and create what you want to in post is just not accurate. So uh, so for me, it, especially for a movie as complicated as this structurally, it all had to be done in the script. Like, we, it all had to be there. This is interesting, though, because when, when he, he approaches the whole thing holistically as, you know, you could see his editing background when we were developing the script because all the transitions are that you see in the movie, the transitions, especially between past and present as the movie progresses, were planned. Yeah. And meticulously planned, which was a nightmare for continuity. But once we got into the edit room, it got a lot easier. I have to ask, though, reality TV, editing that, did that give you any ideas for horror? Well, you, sur- you sure learn a lot about the darkest corners of the human condition. <laughs> um, yeah, like, uh, and it's, it's funny that, you know, you say horror is a stigmatized genre, you know, but it's like I never felt like I was making the world worse until I was doing reality television. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's a great, you know, it's a great way to keep young, ambitious, struggling filmmakers employed mm-hmm. uh, because there's so much of it going on. It's like they're always needing people to work on it. But, yeah, um, it, it certainly taught me a lot about editing and rhythm and what, what is possible as far as creating tension out of nothing, because right. that's what it's all about. Um, but, yeah. Ugh. This is going to be a little more of a philosophical question, so all three of you can kick in, hopefully. Uh, so if one were to classify Oculus, I would say a fitting category would be the evil everyday object film. You mentioned at the Q&A last night that you had some concern, all of you actually, that people would shrug off this movie about a haunted mirror. But then there's a phenomenon like The Ring, which is about a haunted VHS tape. And if you look at horror throughout history, there is a strong tradition of evil in everyday objects in all cultures around the world. So again, this is a little philosophical, but can we discuss what you think makes horror stories about innocuous objects so effective? And yeah, I did choose the word innocuous on purpose. (laughs) Um, I think it's because they're relatable to everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, an ordinary object that you don't naturally imbue with evil tendencies or abilities, you know, everybody's got a mirror in their house. And, you know, we've done our job right if you go home and take a second look at it. (laughs) Well, I think I think what makes things scary is things that are relatable. So I think if you if you in if you uh, inject everyday object with evil, 
it makes for very scary things. So like the like like I think and I think a mirror is actually a, I think a mirror inherently is creepier than an ordinary object. Mm-hmm. And the idea that a mirror might be showing you something that isn't a, a perfect reflection. If you think about that as much as Mike has, which is nowhere near as much as I have, there's a lot that's very scary about that. Like if like every like this thing that you rely on for your entire life to show you exactly a perfect reflection is not showing you that. That's I think that's a, a terrific beginning to a scary movie. So kudos to him. Yeah, I agree with both of them completely. And I think additionally, it's it's a question of vulnerability because if you're dealing with a movie monster that's eight feet tall and looks like the thing, which is an awesome movie, but you're not vulnerable around that. You see that across the room and you know it's a threat. The fact is with an ordinary object, you're completely vulnerable and your guard is down all the time because it's so ordinary. And seeing people in that additional stage of vulnerability of being close to a hazard but unaware of it or in denial of it, I think is a different kind of tension. So I think that's kind of why we... You know why we keep telling those stories? Yeah. Like it's a special kind of vulnerability we're feeling. The, fl- the fly doesn't think much of the Venus flytrap at first. <laughs> oh, nice! That's great. A quotable quote. Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> so you've got two names in the film that will resonate with, uh, I guess, what we'd call geek culture audiences. You've got Karen Gillan and Katie Sackhoff. Can you talk about the relationship of sci-fi to horror and how well each of those actors transferred her talents to this horror film? Yeah, I I think sci-fi and horror, what they have in common is that they try to take big ideas and speak about them in in intense metaphor. It's really heightened reality in both of those things that are dealing with the human condition and some of our more ambitious and thoughtful ideas, sci-fi in particular, I think. So there's, you know, they're cousins. And for me, being such a a fan of horror and sci-fi, of course I was a huge Doctor Who and, and Battlestar fan. So what's interesting about both Katie and Karen is that they were both kind of front and center of some of the most applauded and popular sci-fi television of the last, well, for Doctor Who, it's the last 50 years. But especially, you know, the last decade in America, what they have in common within the shows is that they were considered the strongest, almost ferociously charismatic characters on there. So, you know, I I think Starbuck and Amy Pond are uh, coming at me in a Blackhawk. You know, are are formidable, and um, and that's a that's a you know a formidable heroine is not a not that common a thing. Right. You know, like the, too often they're victimized as opposed to being you know. Being it seems managed. to be a big drive now is to make less of a damsel in distress and more of a whole rounded character. Yeah. Jason, how did Blumhouse Productions come to find Oculus, and were you personally drawn to the story? I was definitely personally drawn to it. We found it in a similar way that we found Paranormal Activity. So we saw the movie when it was done by a local San Diegoian. So we found it. We saw, I saw the movie in Toronto, and I loved it, and got together with WWE and Relativity to try and get it out in a big way. And finally, can you all name the first memory of a film that left you terrified and made you want to do this thing? Uh, yes, Creature from the Black Lagoon, which I think I was eight years old and I made my mother sit on the couch and watch with me because I couldn't stop watching it, but I was scared shitless. My, mine was actually Friday the 13th. It did not make me want to make horror. I was actually very disturbed. That was the first. I shouldn't have seen it when I did. <laughs> uh, mine was Fraggle Rock, um, mm-hmm. the terrible tunnel where all the little fraggles get lost and their and their souls are trapped. I thought that was utterly terrifying and that messed with me for years. So 
yeah, Fraggle Rock scared me like crazy. I was hoping to get an answer like that. So real quick, I'm just going to say thanks so much for joining me, talking about horror, talking about Oculus. I hope to get a lot of people out to see it because it is really a great film. I loved Absentia too, and, and it kind of follows that same vein. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. That was great. That was a great interview. That was fun. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mike, Jason, and Trevor. It is now way past my bedtime, and I have to get up super early to make the morning round of films here at TCM Film Festival. Stay tuned for coverage of this fine event. You can follow my live tweets by adding my Twitter name, at Monster Resort, and also follow my companion on this trip, Beth Accomando, who has been a regular visitor to the Monster Island Resort. Her Twitter handle is at Cinebeth, C-I-N-E-B-E-T-H. Join the conversation there. It's been a total blast, and it's only been day one. So until then, stay scared.